the Oklahoma Business Roundtable. This organization promotes new business investment throughout Oklahoma, including funding support for startup, retention, expansion, and attraction of business facilities and operations. Learn more about them at okbusinessroundtable.com. This is the Oklahoma Innovate That Podcast. In each episode, we talk to the scientists, CEOs, inventors, entrepreneurs, and innovators that are helping to make Oklahoma a national leader in science, innovation, and technology. The Innovate That Podcast is a production of OCAST, the Oklahoma Center for the Advancement of Science and Technology. OCAST is the Oklahoma State Agency for Technology-Based Economic Development and is working to move innovative ideas from concept to commercialization. Learn more at ocast.ok.gov. Enjoy this episode of the Oklahoma Innovate That Podcast. Now, here's your host, Oklahoma Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell. Well, welcome to another episode of our Oklahoma Innovate That Podcast, a uh, OCAST production. I'm Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell, honored to host this very informative podcast series talking about companies inside the state of Oklahoma and those experts in the field about doing business in Oklahoma, the innovation pipeline model, how important that is. And today, we're going to be talking about workforce development. It's hard to have a conversation about innovation without talking about workforce and how we're competing against other states for a workforce. It's a very popular subject in today's business world. In just about every meeting I attend, the subject of how we develop the workforce of the future comes up. Today's guests are part of a committee uh, which focuses on these challenges, specifically the manufacturing sector. Sharon Harrison and Michael Grant, thank you guys for being with us today. This committee is called Workforce OMA and is charged with developing a statewide framework to identify and drive initiatives for manufacturers' workforce challenges in the state of Oklahoma. Few of the duties and responsibilities to build an industry-led visionary committee that is actively seeking solutions to workforce challenges within the state be recognized as the entity that informs and directs manufacturing workforce initiatives. That's hugely important. And finally, to act as the catalyst for the development of identified workforce and training solutions for manufacturers in partnership with state workforce agencies, career and technical education, community colleges, and universities. So that's a mouthful, but that is extremely important. Uh, And again, representing this committee, Sharon and Michael are with us today. So I'd like to start out just asking them to introduce themselves, talk a little bit about their background. So with that, Sharon and Michael, you guys want to jump in? Sharon, I'll start with you. Yeah, thank you. I'm Sharon Harrison. Um, I'm a native of the north of Ireland, born and bred in Belfast, and actually from a family of shipbuilders. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's where I'm from, and we moved here about 20 years ago, and Oklahoma's home. Oh, that's great. Uh, Raised our kids here and uh, now raising a grandchild here so Oklahoma is where we have settled. My background I actually started out in the tourism industry in the hotel industry in Ireland and Scotland and worked with training and development workforce initiatives and and then when I moved back to the U.S. with my husband who's American lived in several other states and then went into the finance sector and then manufacturing 12 years ago so that's been my home and uh, I have a doctorate really researching future skills in manufacturing 
and focused on workforce in Oklahoma. So I have a real passion for creating creative solutions, and that's what's exciting in our committee, which the Oklahoma Manufacturing Alliance um, have headed up and facilitate, that we're working on creative solutions. Great. So that's me. Great. And Michael? Yeah, born and raised in Winfield, Kansas, just across the border, up north of Stillwater, about an hour and a half. Became a part of Oklahoma at Oklahoma State when I went to school there, but 36 years in manufacturing. I've, I've had the privilege of working at a number of companies, Texas Instruments, Textron Aviation in Wichita, Newell Rubbermaid, and most recently the Toro Company, which acquired all of the Charles Machine Works businesses that are based in Perry, Oklahoma, back in 2019. So every stop along the way, workforce has been a hot button topic for me. And uh, as, a, as a plant leader in smaller communities, especially difficult to, to recruit people. But that's why I've gotten the passion to be a part of this committee and have been working on it, what, Sharon? Three about and a half years, years. yeah. 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 All right. So uh, that's a little bit about me. I've got three daughters, uh, all went through the Oklahoma State education system, and one of them lives here in Oklahoma City, works for an architecture firm, and I've got a first grandbaby Excellent. that we're enjoying. So that's a little bit about me. Good. Talk about the committee, Sharon. Discuss the origins of this committee and, and explain how it works. Again, Workforce OMA yeah. is the name. So, as you know, the Oklahoma Manufacturing Alliance, we have a series of field agents all around the state. Yes. And as we meet with manufacturers around the state for many years, we were hearing about problems with workforce. Mm-hmm. And it was the president of the OMA, Dave Rowland, had approached me. He knew my interest and my background in workforce. Um, we sat down together and we really came up with the idea of an industry-led workforce committee. And who makes up the committee? Uh, the committee is made up of mainly C-suite executives of uh, small, medium and large size manufacturers around the state. And we have about 35 members. They sign a charter. Um, We meet every quarter as a core group. And then we have now organized in subcommittees around our strategic initiatives. Okay. And, And the priorities, again, of this, of Workforce OMA? Yes, the priority is, uh, well, you mean our strategic initiatives? Yeah, yeah. Well, through our strategic planning, and Michael and I both facilitate that, Michael came on as the chairman of the committee, um, that we really sat down and brainstormed. We look at current and future workforce, and we were looking at this three and a half years ago. So we knew with the integration of advanced technology um, that needed to come and that was coming within the state, that we needed to make that one of our strategic initiatives. We have a great group of people on that subcommittee who are very innovative. Uh, Some of them own their own businesses. Others are the engineers who have a great grasp on what's needed for future technology and the future skills. And then related to talent pipeline, uh, one of our committees has looked at what we call as other potential talent pipelines. And a few years ago, we were actually the first state in the nation to uh, set in place an initiative with Department of Rehabilitation Services and Ditch Witch have really been the leader on that. We've done a lot of industry training on accommodations and how individuals with a disability, um, a lot of the disabilities are invisible. You know, people are thinking physical, but invisible disabilities and how they can make a great worker. In fact, individuals with disability have higher retention rates and less time off sick. 
and the initiative, uh, Michael, you can maybe speak to this a little bit more than me, Ditch Witch have now taken that to their other plants in the U.S. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's so great. we're being an innovator in that within the state. Yeah, that's been good. Michael, how did you hear about the committee? She talked a little bit about your role as chair, but talk about a little bit more about that, about your role as the chair. As far as my first contact uh, with Sharon and, and Dave Rowland, the president of uh, OMA, I mean, as part of their outreach program, they came and visited Ditchwich oh, back about four years ago, yep. probably. And, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, as they asked what they could do to help our company grow at that point in time, workforce came up and Sharon had just come on board and gosh, it, it felt like, you know, it was almost a natural mm-hmm. uh, fit. And they asked me in that meeting what, if I'd be willing to help. Yes. You know, get that uh, fired off. So the rest is history. I've been helping facilitate that committee now for the last three years, but it's just such a heavy need, you know, to keep. You ask about the priorities. I mean, it's really to keep a pipeline of talent flowing towards our manufacturers and. It's just something that we've got to try to stay in front of the constraints on. Well, and, and again, I mean, you're representing kind of the business industry in, in, in today's talk here. From your perspective, I mean, why is workforce development so important? Why, and why is it such a popular topic today? Yeah, it, you know, we're right now all, all manufacturers are living with supply chain constraints, I think. But uh, once that begins to unwind, which I think there's some early signs that maybe that's starting to lessen just a little bit. You know, workforce is going to become, I think it'll surpass supply chain as the constraint that faces our companies and, you know, throttles growth if we're not careful. So I think that's why it's being talked about so much now that we see record unemployment levels. We see heavy competition for the talent that's out there. And so I think that's what makes it such a hot button topic right now. Michael, discuss some of the different types of advanced manufacturing in Oklahoma. Again, we're talking about manufacturing in Oklahoma, but discuss again some specifics there of, of some advanced manufacturing. What, what are some examples of that in Oklahoma? Yeah, I would say uh, certainly industrial robotics are top of mind. Uh, maybe that's a l- little bit more of a, a passion for me since we're such a heavy metal fab factory in Perry. But the industrial robotic systems, uh, you'll hear the term cobots, collaborative robots used, and that's a technology that's really beginning to take root because it can work right beside an employee yeah. and not have the dangers of an industrial robot uh, with the power that they have. You know, certainly digitization on the factory floor, uh, the impact of data and using that to help introduce efficiencies to the plant and productivity so on. But I think it's interesting with the products that are coming to Oklahoma, you know, the technology has to maintain lockstep with that, you know, electric vehicles and unmanned aerial vehicles and things like that. We've got to stay in lockstep with that. Yeah, it's certainly changing the whole industry. So this is a question for both of you all. What, What ideas or solutions would you offer to help solve the workforce issues we're facing here in Oklahoma? Well, first of all, I believe that we've already started addressing that, and that is people are interested. We've been having this conversation for a few years because we saw the population decline. Mm. And um, so we were looking ahead and seeing what was coming. Then we had a pandemic. I think in Oklahoma, we have great structural education system and, and a workforce system, but we do have our broken framework. 
and when we all come together and work on it together that we can create a solution. And that's why one of the things we see ourselves as a catalyst. Uh, we don't have to control the solution, so we pass on our ideas that the industry are coming up with to education partners, to workforce partners. I mean, the example would be another one of our committees is workforce. I mean, is our work-based learning. Working with the state, we applied for the apprenticeship grant mm -hmm. um, because we uh, really feel that one of the solutions is through work-based learning. Yeah, yeah. It's when an individual is really putting that theory, that learning into practice, that we can really motivate them to stay with the industry. And that's why we see the apprenticeships and OCAST internships as being vital solutions to our workforce challenges. Yeah, yeah the governor mentioned that uh, recently in a State of the State address was specific to apprenticeships. Michael, any, any thoughts? Uh, you know, I would just reference the really strong four-year institutions that we've got in the state and and great STEM representation at all of those, and then our statewide uh, CTE network. And I've always felt that if we can harness, you know, the academic side with the hands-on technology side that the CTE network really um, brings to the forefront, that's a powerful combination for people who can really come into this advanced manufacturing environment and be really effective. And you know, the other thing that I would mention is uh, the image that manufacturing has. We talked about that mm -hmm. very early on mm -hmm. when our committee was formed. I think that we need to emphasize partnerships with schools, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the parents, the faculty, the advisors, and certainly the students, uh, and talk about the types of careers that are available in manufacturing. We don't do a very good job of that today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of how valuable a career in manufacturing can be and how exciting it can be. Yeah. You know, it's not that old factory from back in the 70s anymore. No, right? it's not. And, and uh, yeah, there's a marketing piece to there this is. Uh, for sure. Michael, let me stick with you on this one, then mm -hmm. I'll go back to Sharon. Is it, is it a greater challenge to get businesses to adopt, adapt, excuse me, to new technologies or more difficult to find employees who possess those skills? necessary for ways, you know, we're, we're manufacturing products today. I think it has to be the latter yeah. uh, because as leaders in companies, you know, we're always looking for an advantage from a competitive perspective and that solution that brings productivity to the table. So I think, you know, industry is going to be quick to adapt to new technology. I think making sure that we have the skill sets lined up is always going to be what what kind of throttles things. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and I again, it's not just an Oklahoma-specific problem. No, that's there. right. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. across the country. Exactly. Sharon, when implementing these changes, is there something that's more effective than something else when we're implementing this kind of change? You know, when you're really looking at change, you have to have leadership buy-in. And there has to be a culture change. Mm, yeah as well within an organization. But I think change is a great opportunity, especially for Gen Z today. You know, those individuals in our society younger than 24, they get it. They get change. They get digitization. You know, as I tell people, when you talk about change and the introduction of technology, the jobs are going to be created by the people doing the job of the future. And that's, that's the change that's needed and the mindset that's needed. You're not going to pick it off a shelf. You're going to have to maybe create it yourself, and we all have to be ready to adapt. And that's why our education system has to be able to adapt quicker for certain components, because we have seen how fast change is. 
Well, and you mentioned, again, kind of those younger generations. I mean, what type of educational changes should we make to ensure the workers of the future possess these skills? I mean, you know, again, we've talked about career tech. Yeah. I mean, there's some things we're doing well, mm-hmm. uh, but but what type of changes would you all recommend? And I'll, I'll ask this for both of you all here. Well, one of the other things I do, I actually teach management and supply chain at Rose State College. So I teach to this age, and I've asked them this question. Mm. And they believe, as Rose State itself did, went to a flex format. So they want education to be available for them 24-7. And they want it to be innovative. And we have to be able to do that. They also want to have that industry experience. That practical side of it is so important. And then again, as when we look at change with Gen Zs, a lot of them do not want to incur debt. Yeah. So our education models have to work with that. It's rather back to like my dad did at the shipyard many years ago. I mean, he worked during the day, had his family, and at night was off at the technical college getting his marine engineer's degree. You know, so we're having, I think, maybe go back, but also reinvent. Yeah, that's good. Those are some really good good points. There. Yeah, not, you know, I remember my, you know, 7.55 a.m. class, you know, when I was in college and with, you know, 400 other people in the audience. I mean, I don't know if that model is the right model. And I think higher education is going to have to ad- adapt mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael? I just, I think we need to reach students sooner. You know, I, maybe high school is even even too late. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly as I spoke about, you know, the image that manufacturing has, we, we've got to somehow cast a different vision that's mm-hmm. out there and what can be. The other thing that it kind of piggybacks on what you said, you said, Sharon, is, you know, so many manufacturers are ready to support people in pursuit of their degree, whether that's a two-year technical education type certificate or whether it's four-year. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, making that known and, and, and having those pipelines run right through industry to help with the debt elimination and things like that, I think is something we need to leverage more. Yeah, it's really good. Well, speaking, I mean, it's it, it's a really good segue into the next question here. I mean, there there are internship programs like the mm-hmm. one that OCAST mm-hmm. offers. And again, most people that we've interviewed through this series point to that OCAST intern program. Yeah. Uh, that was a game changer for them and their companies, which pairs an engineering student with a firm in the state to help on a project. So that's what, again, the OCAST program does. So the goal is to help workforce development and to try to retain our engineers here in Oklahoma, which, again, also something that the governor mentioned in his State of the State address when it comes to, you know, industries that, you know, engineers, nurses, teachers, you know, those are kind of, mm-hmm. we need it in all areas, but those are three top areas. Do either of you notice an, ad- an advantage or a difference of companies who utilize interns like this one, like that, like the OCAS program? Yeah, absolutely. I spoke to some of our field reps and it was coming here today and asked them to share with me some of their successes I know that in Muskogee Advantage Controls and Acme Engineering have been really successful examples of that, which has also led to their innovation. Um, bringing in that mind that is absorbing and is really out there exploring different things um, has brought an energy and an innovation to their operation. I know here in Oklahoma City as well with Spears New Technology have had so much success. And then Preston Easton as well, which 
which is still expanding so much within our state, um, are great examples of that. The other thing is that I know also some of the senior design projects at OCAS support. I have worked with them in the past. I know Real Power here in Oklahoma City, I worked with them. And taking students coming in for a semester with their senior project and actually taking on true engineering problems, it's so exciting. And for them coming up with solutions that work, get them into the industry and save that company money at the same time. It's huge. Michael, did you utilize any interns, again, any of the companies that you've worked for here in Oklahoma? Yeah, we do. We do have internship programs just like the OCAS model and you talk about invaluable for the mm-hmm. student and the and the business. I think it's one of those things where both groups uh, get what whatever they put in. But we've really successfully used internships in our businesses, and uh, you know some of the innovation that comes out of that from new fresh eyes coming into a facility are pretty impactful. Explain the value in having a pipeline of companies such as Ocast and its partners. You know that this innovation pipeline that we have available to manufacturers across the state. I mean, what, what, the value in that, I mean, I'm assuming you, you certainly have seen this, but explain yeah. that a little bit. Michael, yeah. I'll do that and then over to Sharon. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's a, it's a unique model yes. and, and very powerful model when you look at it. You know, we're so lucky to have those connected agencies here in our state. And whether you're an entrepreneur trying to launch a, a new business or just have an idea that you need help with, or whether you're an established 75-year company like Ditchwich up in Perry, you can find some kind of a resource inside that group of uh, or that family of agencies to help you in some way, shape or form. And and then, you know, in series, they can be used to, you know, just really move a, an idea clear into a new a new business, new industry here in our state. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I think is one thing that I've learned, especially in Oklahoma and manufacturing over the last six years. It's very hard to stop production to do something new. Hmm. And especially when you have workforce challenges. So when you have agencies such as OCAST and the innovative model, I2E, OMA, that bring in people that can help you with those special projects. They can help you with that innovative idea that you may have, but you can't leave that production line shut down for a few hours. Right. They're really your, um, they're your sous chef as such, there to work alongside you and to help you. And I think this is a great model and I've seen so many manufacturers benefit from it. And it would be really rare for any business to have all that capability yes, under absolutely. roof, right? Absolutely. So it's really nice that you can yeah. kind of pick and choose the services from that. Yeah, mm-hmm. reinforcing what yeah what we hear uh, constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in each of your opinions, what what will it take uh, for Oklahoma to be a world leader in manufacturing over the next ten to twenty years, Sharon? Well, I think that we're going to be, and I'm excited. I'm excited about that. We're going to. I think that one thing is obviously we've got to look at those um, potential pipelines. We know we're not going to have the population growth. We're either going to have to be attracting other people. We're also working with the refugee population. We have, I think, every year thousands, tens of thousands of students that fall out of college. We're looking at ways to capture them within the workplace and the workforce as well. So I think that is one thing we can do. Another thing is that we need to look at more creative solutions for transferring those skills, the future skills 
that are going to be needed to be a world leader, we have to have technology, operational technology and operational technology within manufacturing. That's good. Michael? Don't know that I have much to add. Uh-huh. It's pretty yeah. pretty thorough. But, you know, we have a lot of uh, rich resources here in the mm-hmm. state. And, you know, I look at, at how uh, successful uh, FFA, for instance, is in our state. And yes, good we've one. got such good leaders in that. And there are kids in and around programs like that in our state that we've just got to be able to attract into manufacturing. So I think he who solves the uh, workforce issue wins, and uh, that's what's going to set us apart. And I think we've got good traction. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's that's right. He who wins uh, that that battle is going to we're going to beat out other states. That's for sure. right. We always end on this question with our guest, but talking about Oklahoma and the benefits of living here, kind of you know taking that message you know across the country and the world. What selling points would you use to get another company to move here, or in other words, why Oklahoma? Sharon, I'll I'll start then, and then Michael, you can finish this off. Well, I didn't bring a company here, but I brought my family yeah, here. That's right. yeah. <laughs> so uh, when I think of companies, I think that because I used to be in a coffee morning with some CEOs and their wives and their families who moved to Oklahoma. And I always tell people one of the main things is, is your people. Mm and your community. I mean, you have to sell it, don't undersell it. And that community is so important because very often you don't have that, maybe in other states and other nations as well. Another thing is, is your deep heritage. I think that um, we under, you know, I know you're doing a fantastic job with the tourism, but the focus on that, because that is important as an attraction to businesses. Yes, we have the infrastructure, you have the support with agencies like OCAS and the innovative model, but at the end of the day, people stay because of community. Very good, Michael. I think we've got a really good economic development climate, pro-business environment to, to work in. You know, and I think then you begin to reflect on just the values, the openness of our of our state, and then the uh, the work ethic that you see in our people, uh, I think is is what gives us an advantage. Yeah, it came up constantly when we you know did some rebranding in the state, the diversity certainly of our state, but but it it usually does come back yeah to our people uh, and the heritage and the history that we have here, uh, the work ethic uh, of our people, uh, how friendly we are. At the end of the day, that is what's going to separate us from other states. I mean. You know, this whole it's made for you and me, it's, it's, it's very true. Uh, and there's a, there's a great history book by an, an Oklahoma historian that says Oklahoma is the, the land of second and third chances. I think that there's something to that as well. And I, I can't thank you two enough for what you do in this space of, of recruiting, training up, and again, keeping. And I really think, again, through this conversation, what I've, what I've gotten a hold of too is, is you're helping keep people in Oklahoma happy. And when it comes to, you know, manufacturers know there's someone there to help. There's a pipeline to interns or a future workforce. You know, that's really important, too, when, we, when it comes to just keeping the, the companies in the state. Yes, we want to court new companies as well, but we want companies that have an idea to be able to birth the idea here and then stay here. And so we cannot thank you two enough. Where can folks go? Do you have a, a website that we yes, can point people um, to? If you go to the Oklahoma Manufacturing Alliance website, we have a workforce tab, and there you'll find details. If you're a manufacturer listening to this, 
this, we would love to have your involvement. You know, we never turn people away, so we'd love to have that. Great, yeah, so just look up the Oklahoma Manufacturing Alliance website and you can go from there. So thank you all for tuning in to uh, this latest episode again of our Oklahoma Innovate That podcast and OCAST production. Thank you all so much. Mm